Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to Season 7, Telepractice. It's not just screen time. Welcome to the podcast mini-series, Telepractice, It's Not Just Screen Time, presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Thanks for joining us for our fourth episode, Accent Modification Through Telepractice. We would like to mention that there is a handout that accompanies this presentation available for download. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. I'm your host, Karine Hartunian-Kukayan. I have been a speech-language pathologist for over two decades and working in telepractice for the past 12 years, serving in both special education and healthcare. Before we get started, we have a few items to mention. We love and encourage questions from our participants. You can put your questions in the chat box for our guests to answer. As a reminder, if your state license requires CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz, before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. Here are the financial and non-financial disclosures. Karine Hartunian-Kukayan is the host of this podcast and receives compensation from speechtherapypd.com, and she is also currently the clinical program director at SLP Tele. Her non-financial disclosures are that she is the current SIG-18 associate coordinator for ASHA. Dr. Kelly Utenham receives an honorarium from speechtherapypd.com for this episode. She is also the owner of Serenity Speech Therapy and Kensington Academy. She also is an independent contractor for Great Speech Incorporated. Her non-financial disclosures are that she is a member of SIG-18 for telepractice. And now here's a little bit about our guest today. Dr. Kelly is a medical speech-language pathologist licensed in nine states that has been practicing for nine years. She is the owner of a private telepractice company, Serenity Speech Therapy, and owns Kensington Academy, a private consulting firm for SLPs interested in starting a private practice, getting into telepractice, or travel therapy. Dr. Kelly's areas of interest include accent modification, dementia, dysphagia, aphasia, Parkinson's disease, and fluency. She has experience working in skilled nursing, assisted living, and independent living facilities. Dr. Kelly also has experience working in hospitals, home health, and as a travel therapist. She is a certified Compton PESL accent modification instructor, a speak out and speech easy provider. Dr. Kelly is also an adjunct assistant professor at St. John's University. North Carolina, AT&T State University, and Shaw University. She's a public speaker and has served as a guest lecturer for Purdue University, 
and Howard University. Welcome, Dr. Kelly. All right, in this episode, we will cover the following learner outcomes. By the end of the course, participants will be able to identify necessary skills required to provide accent modification services via telepractice, identify where to locate potential clients, develop a plan for initial analysis and accent modification sessions. Before we begin, we would love to hear about how you began your journey as a speech-language pathologist and how you came upon telepractice. Hello, thank you for the introduction. Yes, that is a great question. So I originally started out being a a journalism major. I graduated, did the whole starving artist thing. That didn't work out. And then I spoke with a speech-language pathologist that I knew And she encouraged me to check out speech therapy. And I was like, what is speech therapy? And so she um, pointed me in the right direction. I did some research. I fell in love with the profession. And so I applied to grad school, did that, did several of, well, all of the things that you listed and becoming a travel therapist. And then towards the end of that, when I stopped, I had all of these licenses and I had continuously heard people saying like, oh, like I, I was licensed in this state, but I let it lapse and I wish I hadn't. And I was like, well, I want to keep mine, but what is the purpose if I'm not in the state? And then I thought telepractice, I can use all of my licenses and still do what I love and I'd be able to hold on to them. So that is how I came up with telepractice for myself. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So what made you become interested specifically in working with accent modification? It was really the freedom of private practice and telepractice and just being able to think outside of the box. One of the great things about being a speech therapist is you have such a wide range of things that you can do. I know I wanted to still practice and help people Accent modification just kind of appeared. It seemed to be something that we could do. And um, I looked into the Compton PESL program and took training and just learned even more about it. And that was that was my journey to it. All right. And I've heard a lot of different terminology around this area, um, such as accent reduction, accent enhancement. Can you speak a little bit to these terms? Do they mean the same thing? And why are there different terms? Yes, they are different terms, but they mean the same thing, which is essentially modifying or changing the way somebody speaks or changing their accent. They mean the same thing. Do you have any idea why there are different ways of expressing the same meaning? Why why did they come up with so many different ways of saying it? I can't give a definitive answer to that. I would just have to hypothesize that just like specific jargon is used in different professions or different regions of the country or world, it could mean the same thing, but it's called something different. That is my best guess. Yeah, that's probably very true. Does the age when an individual learns English make a difference in whether or not they might have an accent? Well, it depends on where they are regionally. It depends on their environment, meaning who they grew up with, the people that they spoke around in the home. I will say that when it comes to modifying an accent, it will matter. Pat, Like around the age of 12 or 13 is kind of the point of no return where that is where you're going to have the most challenging time after that time of modifying an accent. Before that time, it's just easier to pick up different accents. 
And can you define what is an accent? How is an accent different than a dialect? Okay. And this is in the handout. Asha defines an accent as the unique way that groups of people who speak the same language sound. So an accent is more of how you sound or how your speech sounds. A dialect is more of specific words or language that is used for a particular language or people. And can you give some examples of regional accents or national origin accents? Sure. So regional accents, that would be kind of what we have here in the United States. So if you're in the South, then you may have more of a drawl and you could sound like this. But if you're out in California, then you may have more of upspeak, but again, regionally. So it depends on where you are in California. Northern regions, they have more of a, a quick talk and that's more of like a New Yorker or something from New Jersey And in the Midwest, that is pretty much where the general American English accent comes from. And that is regional. So out in California, the South, Northern regions, those are all within the United States. But if you look outside of the United States as a country, then there are different accents in Canada. So common characteristic of um, Canadians is the way that they say sorry is more closed lips. So they say sorry, sorry. In Russia, there are different characteristics. And so when you look at it globally, that's where you have more of national accents. So national would be more about the country outside of the U.S. and regional is within the country of the United States of America. Yes. All right. And there was a question regarding the handout. I did want to say that the handouts were uploaded right at the start of this podcast. So for those that may not see it, they may want to log out and log back in, but it will be there for those listening to the recorded version of this podcast. All right. So let's talk a little bit about client-specific differences in sounds and some of the common patterns that, that cause some miscommunications or challenges in this area? I did write down a few, so excuse me for looking. So there are, of course, several languages that we can go through. So I will pick out a few. So if you are working with a client who is from China and they speak Mandarin, then R and L, those are two sounds that can be confused. And so that is going to be a sound that you'll want to target when you're in session with them. Um, An example would be producing wall instead of wall. Um, Another example would be for persons who are from India or speak any of the languages from India, the sound eh and ah can be confused or used interchangeably when I'm speaking English. And so, for example, bet and bat those could be confused. And we'll do two more. Spanish. So the sounds sh and ch can be confused or used interchangeably. So choose instead of shoes or share instead of chair. And Russian, which is a lot of my caseload right now, and we'll talk about that later. I call it the Russian I. And so that is produced more like E in the American English accent. And so that that change can change feet from fit 
And also that final, the Y vowel is a challenging sound as well. So actually the E is a challenging sound. And so they'll produce actually instead of E. So those are some common occurrences with those different languages or patterns, I should say. So it seems that the short vowel sounds are a little bit more challenging. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Got it. Interesting. Let's talk about the schwa and some consonants and vowels that occur only in English and and what kind of challenges they produce or provide for the, the folks that are trying to speak more of the general American dialect. Okay. So the consonant sound that other languages tend to not have that the English language does have is um, TH, voiced and voiceless. So that is a sound that is either unintentionally deleted, for lack of a better term, or um, substituted with something completely different. All right. And how about with schwa? Do you have any comments on that and how that presents any issues? I don't have any in my notes or that I can think of off the top of my head. (laughs) Okay, I apologize. Thank you. So what are three things? Let's kind of dig into the nitty gritty of the accent modification services. What are three things needed to provide accent modification services? I would say excellent knowledge of speech science. So it's very important to know the different positions of your articulators as I'm sure everybody listening is a speech therapist, but for those who may not know, it's the parts of your mouth and face that help to make and shape sound. And so that's how we can shape our accent. And you as clinicians, that's how you will be teaching your clients to make and shape those sounds that you want them to make when you're in session. Knowing the phonetic alphabet is going to be a big plus if you want to work with clients with accent modification non-English speakers. So almost all of the clients that I have worked with who were born in other countries, went to school in other countries, they, almost all of them know the phonetic alphabet. And so that helps quite a bit. So it's important for you to be proficient in the phonetic alphabet as well. So yeah, those are, those are three things. Very good. What are the average number of sessions that you've found that you need to provide before you see any improvement in your clients? Good question. That really varies. So it depends on the client. It depends on when they learned English, how long they've been in the country. If they, if they are in America, sometimes clients want accent modification services before they come to the United States as a way to assimilate, but it's hard to, to, to pound down a number to to get an, an actual number because some people may want accent modification services to change how they sound at work. And if it's somebody who is already an English speaking native, somebody who's from America, they may need a couple of months versus someone who just arrived in the country and they will need possibly a year of services It really varies. My goal is to make sure that the client is comfortable and happy with how they sound. And this is something that the clients will ask too, like how long until I see results? But I have to take the time to to basically teach them how to be little mini SLPs so that they can learn the different intricacies of how your tongue should be positioned or what to do with your lips. And then that way they learn how to self-assess and self-correct in session and out of session. 
because of that, it's so hard to, to get a number. But I can say we'll do a range between three months and a year or more because after they see improvement, a lot of times they will want to continue. And I will say, you know, you sound great. How are you feeling? And they may want to tweak something else or fix something else. Well, not fix, but change something else or at least kind of do it as a maintenance kind of thing. And of course, with insurance not being involved, and we'll talk about that later, it makes it easier to do that. So I'm curious when you said three months, are they coming an average of every week or every other week? Do you know? Is there a pattern? Also varying. (laughs) Also varying. Okay. So I'll share kind of a case study, I suppose. There was a young lady who was in her late 20s, maybe early 30s. She was from Mississippi and she moved to Texas and she worked in a call center and her Mississippi accent made her quite unintelligible to several of the people that she had to speak with on a daily basis. And she really just got tired of having people say, what did you say? Or can you repeat yourself? Or can I speak with somebody else? And so she is from America, Mississippi accent. She was probably seen, I saw her twice a week for five months and that was it. And you work with them for 30 minutes usually or 45 or an hour. That also probably varies, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) No magic formula, Dr. Kelly, is there? No magic formula. No magic formula. The shortest length in session that I will do is 30 minutes. And then I added a 45 minute option just for those who feel like 30 minutes isn't enough, but they don't need an hour. And then I also offer an hour. All right. Sounds good. Sounds like it. it's not a one size fits all. So it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the different components of accent modification. If you could kind of highlight what are the different areas that you work on? You mean like the different levels, like how it progresses? Yeah. So like, what are you working on specifically where, like, is it just the consonants or do you also work on other things? I work on everything with them. So if you think about Arctic, like doing Arctic therapy with kiddos or adults, you start with a sound. So during the evaluation, I will listen to the clients and I will document what it is that I'm hearing. I'll document any patterns that I'm noticing that align with their native language, along with any other characteristics that they may have picked up. A lot of my clients speak multiple languages, have lived in multiple countries. Um, A lot of them are businessmen and women. That means that they can pick up uh, accents and characteristics of other languages. And so that's an extra joy and an extra challenge for, for me as a clinician. But I will document the patterns that I'm noticing, and then I will start teaching them about the articulators, and then I will also teach them about the different levels of speech. So I'm saying, you know, we'll start with the sound level, then we'll go phrase level, and so on and so forth. And I share the difference in all of those is your rate of speech. And so that is to encourage them to be patient with themselves because If we're starting at word and phrase level and they sound really good, when they go back into a meeting for work, they have their accent that is not the American accent that they're working towards. And that can be frustrating for some. 
but I do explain the different levels to them. And then, so it will depend on the sound. So for example, with my Russian clients, I mentioned earlier the I sound. So them producing E for that short I in the American accent, it takes time. And so we do repetition and muscle memory exercises to just keep producing it. I will go through the different levels. So we'll do it in the initial position, medial, final, and it's, it's so intricate and each one is so different and it just, it could be a consonant. It could be vowels. It's really what they're presenting to me and how I tailor the sessions for them. Sounds really good. Do you need to be a speech language pathologist to provide accent modification services and what other professionals might work on this area? You do not have to be a licensed speech language pathologist to be an accent modification coach or teacher or a therapist or, well, I suppose therapist, but however you'd like to label it, you don't have to be a speech therapist to do it. It is just easier for speech therapists to do it because we have so much background and knowledge of the intricacies of speech and how our our articulators work and so that we can teach people where to move their tongue or if you need to get a particular sound out of them, how to kind of change the word but keep the sound the same. And, you know, we have those skills and it's easier for us to do it. But other professionals who can provide accent modification services include speech coaches, or you may see accent coaching, or persons who work with, and it can be a speech therapist, but people who work with voice for like acting or singing. Like a dialect coach, I think I've heard too. Yeah. Okay. Now, what if you have a client who might have an articulation disorder in addition to an accent. And is that even possible? That is possible. I have a client who is from Russia. He moved here four months ago, five months ago, and he always had a challenging time with his R's. So it just so happens that with a Russian accent, they traditionally have a challenging time with R's. Anyway, so while I am working on his accent, I simultaneously will help with the production of the R so that the accent is transitioning how he would like it to or being modified how he would like it to be modified. I'm wondering if he has a harder time because of his articulation disorder. Yes, thank you. So I would say that because of his language and it being his native language being Russia, he would have had to have had the challenges with R anyway. And because in the Russian language, the R's, when they are speaking English with their Russian accent, the R's are deroticized anyway. So he would have needed strengthening anyway. The carryover from Artic, it would not be considered articulation therapy because the overall goal is targeting the accent. Interesting. So a lot of shade of gray I'm hearing. <laughs> yes. Lots of shades of gray. Yeah, definitely, definitely. All right. I do agree with what you said. I think it would be best if everyone checks the licensure rules for states and also other countries and just make sure that if you are working on a lot of areas that cross into communication disorders that you are licensed appropriately. And with the pandemic and everything, make sure that you're checking updates as well. Definitely. 
All right. So we've got articulation therapy. I mean, speaking of which, it seems to be so similar and mimics accent modification. How is it similar or different than accent modification? Like, how do you compare, contrast those two and kind of separate them out? In my opinion, they are very, very similar. And I am hoping that that gives confidence and that other clinicians that are listening will take the skills of articulation and apply them to accent modification. A lot of what we do in our accent modification sessions are the same things that you'll do when you're working with an Arctic client. I will say that the differences come when you're not just working on one specific sound and you have to apply that to their language. And so functional phrases are used and we'll talk more about that later, but there is gray area, but very much similar to articulation. Very good. All right. So what are some reasons why an individual would want to seek out accent modification? What brings them to your you for your services? Assimilation is a huge reason and professional purposes. So I have clients that do public speaking and for the same reason as the young lady I spoke about from Mississippi, they don't want to be asked over and over again, what did you say? They're supposed to be having a, an impactful moment or really connecting with the audience. That can be challenging if the audience is thinking, what, is, what are they saying? So professional purposes is a, is a big reason. Persons who teach therapists, people who are consultants. So a lot of, a lot of professionals are people who have to talk for a living. All right. So let's see, what are some examples of professionals that might seek out accent modifications? Teachers and professors, consultants, attorneys, politicians, politicians have to speak a lot, actors. And so that was where, you know, the dialect coach comes in, religious professionals. So pastors, rabbis, anyone who has to speak to a congregation, anyone who gives presentations professionally, even people who are in small companies who have to speak to staff that work for them, or people who are employed in small companies and have a lot of responsibility that include speaking to people. So it could be a receptionist who has to help make appointments and greet people who are coming in and accent modification may be something that they're looking for. All right. sounds like there's a lot of people that probably can benefit from this. I'm going to actually take a question from the listeners at this time. What assessment do you use or screening tool or evaluation tool do you use? I use the Compton PESL. They have, when you take the class, they will provide you with materials. But as you get more seasoned in it, I really just started using the screen and that is a list of words that you will have the client to repeat. I will place it on the screen so that my client can read it versus hearing me say it because then they kind of have a model and it can <laughs> modify how they're saying it or trying to say it. So after they read that, I make my notes and I document where I'm seeing a pattern and then I develop the plan of care for them. There also have been times where I will kind of just elicit conversational speech and I can also determine patterns that way. 
and the client feels like, you know, we're just chatting and I'm getting to know them, but I'm actually working and assessing how their speech is. That was a really good question. So let's talk a little bit about treatment. And I'm curious if you can tell us the top three things clients can do today or tomorrow to improve their speech. What are some things that you tell like strategies or tips that you could give our listeners about that? Functional phrases are your friend. So I use functional phrases to get the clients to write out at least 10. It's like pulling teeth sometimes, but 10 phrases or sentences that they know they're going to say every day. So if it's, honey, I made dinner, or can you grab the mail? Or, hey, guys, let's go ahead and get started. Or thank you for attending this meeting. Any of those um, phrases that people know they're going to say either in their professional or personal settings, I have them write those down. And once we get out of the early sessions, early, early sessions, so maybe like the first two or three sessions, we're really working on our articulators and knowing what those are, going through the vowels and kind of building out to where the more challenging work will be. But it gives them an idea of how intricate everything is. And then they're kind of like, this could take a little while once they see how much goes into it. But the functional phrases are helpful because they can use those for practice. And then you have additional muscle memory and carryover and they can use it when they're practicing over and over again, when they are in that moment and they're like, oh, I need to ask if, you know, my significant other will get the mail, then they can go and and practice it. They can also practice it um, through video recording, which is part of their homework, which we can talk about later. Uh, changing for work and not home. So an important tip is going to be finding out where they want their accent modification to be like in what setting, because sometimes I'm sw- I'm essentially teaching code switching to clients because they only really want to assimilate and sound like they have an American English accent when they're at work. But then when they're at home, they're speaking with their loved ones or their friends, they're hanging out and they don't really need to assimilate. So finding out where they would like to speak in their new accent is important. And then the third thing is giving one specific sound for them to work on and just helping them to develop that muscle memory. So it could be building it from the initial sounds. I like to start with the initial sound and then just repeating it at word level, single syllable at first, so that they can build confidence and then go to that medial position and the final position. And that essentially helps to build a strong foundation for them to use those skills and those sounds when it's longer and more challenging speech productions. What I really like about the functional phrases, you could probably focus on different aspects each week, right? They may not necessarily get it all right the first or second or third time, but over time, as you're saying, you're building that muscle memory and you're bringing awareness to all those different things or different aspects of the word. So I really like that. There is a really applicable question right now. How do you prioritize which sounds you target first? Any research on complexity theory with accent modification? Interesting question. Interesting question. Good question. It's a mix. So sometimes I will initially target what I know is going to be most challenging and what's going to take the longest. And then I will also ask the client if they have a particular sound or like once they learn 
then I've, you know, started to mold them into little mini SLPs. I will ask them, is there a particular sound that you're interested in working on? Or do you have any questions about any word, sentence, phrase, what have you that you've heard or that you've been saying are repeatedly asking you, what are you saying? So it's a mix between what I'm noticing and assessing and what they're experiencing. Because again, I want them to be comfortable. And so if they're constantly being asked by their boss or someone on their team, what is it that you're saying? If I can help them in a session to improve that, then it's a win. I love it. I love it. And do you use auditory discrimination or auditory skills at all when you're working on accent modification? I do use auditory discrimination. So again, this varies and kind of depends. So some clients have a very difficult time with hearing themselves. And so when I was in grad school, they would turn off all the lights and have us either close our eyes or just be in complete darkness, but they would play sounds that sounded identical and we had to decipher which sound it was. So with that kind of training, I have a very sharp ear, but clients are not going to have that same kind of training. And so if they have a difficult time, I will isolate the sound, but I will have them do the same thing. So I'll say, close your eyes. And then I will ask them, can you hear a difference? Shockingly, sometimes they cannot, but depending upon the word and the sound, they get it. So yes, I do use those. Excellent. What are some specific, I believe you've kind of mentioned this, if you want to kind of summarize once again, any other specific exercises that you might've missed initially that you use? I definitely build on what they've done. So if it's the sound level, then we're going to repeat that sound and that can be very boring, but I will include, like when we get to the reading level, then I will ask them to provide something that's jargony, if that's a word for them. So it could be something from their profession, of course, all things that are safe and appropriate that they can share and read um, to someone who is not in their profession. I have them self-record and that's an exercise that helps them with self-assessing and self-correcting because the goal is for them to not need me forever, for them to graduate and have these skills that they can use independently. So self-recording on video is huge. I will also offer an option to record the entire session and that way they can go back and see my lips and see all the things that I'm doing. There are times when I'll lean in very close to the camera and shine a light in my mouth so they can see what my tongue is doing. So they'll have that to go back and reference. It's also a great option for when they progress and they're doing great. And then they go back and listen to or watch themselves on the video and they can see like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this was me at the beginning, but it also shows their progress. So those are always fun moments, but those are good exercises. And they differentiate or hear differences between how you say it and how they're saying it once they start doing that? Yes. Yes, they can. That's exciting. Yeah, that was actually one of the questions in our that our listeners were asking as well regarding recording. So thank you for sharing. You did mention, I know this is so much like articulation, the drills, and we've all done this and it does get you know a little bit mundane after a while. I'm curious if you have any tips for how you keep it engaging and interesting. And, you know, we all know that that helps the dynamic of learning too, right? If they're really like interested in it and focused on it. Funny enough, pictures. <laughs> My clients seem to really enjoy when I bring out a picture activity. So I will have them 
look at something and it could be like a problem solving picture from one of my cog clients who's needing problem solving assistance. And I may show them the picture and I'll say, you know, can you tell me what you see in this picture using your best American accent? And they'll start describing it. And then it kind of becomes a conversation. And I'll say, well, you know, can you tell me what's wrong with it? Or what would you do in this situation? And those kinds of activities can kind of spiral into sort of a conversational exercise. And I like to use those for when we get to conversational level. And let's see, pictures are always fun. Videos can be fun. So if you um, either send them a video ahead of time, or if you show it when you share your screen and you can talk about it. I also really like to talk about their culture and their country because it's, you know, a lot of times it's very different from what I experience here in America. And so you get to kind of expand and then they have fun because they're teaching you. And sometimes I'll have them teach me a word in their language. That's fun interaction for them because it's, it's about connection and and your client and wanting them to be happy and, and feeling welcome. So I really like talking about their culture, pictures are good, videos. Um, And then I mentioned before having them read um, things that are specific to um, their profession. Love it. Let's talk a little bit about accent modification specifically provided through telepractice. What are some of the key components or or things that we need to have in order to provide good quality services through telepractice for accent modification? Strong Wi-Fi. (laughs) Strong Wi-Fi. I recommend this to anytime that I do a talk, you want to get a Wi-Fi mesh. And what that is, is essentially a force field around you and your router and your Wi-Fi signal. And that basically makes it ironclad. And that kind of um, covers your behind as a clinician, because if, you know, a connection is a little shaky or um, the call keeps dropping or you get that, you know, signal mishap, you know that it's not you. And that way you can help um, the client figure out what is happening on their end. And, you know, hopefully things work out. But the Wi-Fi mesh is very important. Uh, Making sure that you have a HIPAA compliant platform. And ring lights, you definitely want to make sure you have a good quality ring light. I have two. I'm sure you can see this here. Um, I like the ones that can change uh, colors. So you've got the, um, the daylight um, setting. You have um, amber setting. There's one that's like a mix of the two, but you can find those on Amazon. Um, check the reviews. That's how I, I select them. And if you you know choose to reach out or ask a question, I'm happy to send the ring lights that I have, they're great quality and they last. Um, And then the last thing I would say is to uh, make sure that you have a high quality microphone because you really want to make sure that you are heard, especially when you're um, working on different sounds that sound similar. You want to make sure that they can hear you. Some speech therapists like to use um, uh, microphone and headset combination. That works too. It's really just personal preference. And of course, you know, if there are hearing complications for the clinician, then, you know, other things should be taken into consideration. But those are my top uh, recommendations. I don't know if you have any tips regarding like settings in the platform that people might be using, anything to be aware of so that audio comes across accurately. I would check 
the platform that you're using. Each platform should have a way to do like a mic check and for you to be able to hear. So they may play like a tone or something so you can hear what the sound is going to be like. And then um, they'll be able to, you'll be able to see visually how your microphone is doing. So if it's too hot, it's very loud, you'll see um, it's stretching, the sound signals stretching all the way to the end. And that could be uncomfortable. And also consider that your clients very well may have headphones in their ear. So you may not want to squeal for joy when they are successful with a sound, which I have done and apologize for. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my, I am curious. I guess that kind of segues into the next question. If you've done accent modification in person, do you have, or if you haven't, maybe you can share what are some things that are markedly different from doing it online versus doing it in person. And that might be actually one of the examples that you just shared. Yes. Count that as one of my examples. I actually have not provided accent modification services in person. My practice is completely telepractice outside of me going into the office for speech easy evaluations. But I would, from, you know, working with clients in person, the difference would essentially be just the connection. You know, you can't pass a tissue if, you know, someone has a rough day, that sort of a thing. But there are studies and research that have proven that telepractice versus in-person yield the same results. And I'm also curious if you've done accent modification groups. I've heard of some programs that incorporate groups as well as individual sessions. Could you kind of comment on those setups? Have you done any like that? I haven't done any group. I did learn about it. So I am trained to provide group accent modification services. I choose not to just because of how detailed and intricate each different languages, accent, dialect, you know, one, it could be somebody from the same country who speaks the same language, but one has, you know, a difficult time with producing R's and they just have the the tongue strength that needs to be built up. Well, they're going to be working on all different things. And I just prefer to give that one-on-one time um, for the client and not have to be concerned about dividing my time. All right. And how do you provide feedback to the clients to approximate productions? Like, how do you do that online? Just curious. In session? Yes. So I develop a list of target words. So when I'm speaking with them and asking how's their day and what they do this weekend and all of that. Again, they feel like they're shooting the breeze, but I am analyzing and I'm making notes. Depending upon the clients, I will look down and make the notes. Um, Some clients are very much like, what are you writing? What did I say? And so sometimes you have to write while you're still looking at them so that they don't um, get distracted. Um, but I will write a list of target words and then I will, um, kind of segue into, because of course they feel like we're just talking. I will segue into, well, let's go ahead and, um, take a look at this list. I've got a list of words and then I will go through each one. I will, I will say the word for them with the American accent, depending upon if they've heard it several times and they know, um, how to fix it. I will. If they don't and they haven't heard it enough, then I will model um, how they sounded with their accent so that they can hear that difference. There's the auditory piece. 
and I'll go through each one. Um, if we're at, if we're doing a reading exercise, then I will have them reread what they just read and see how many of those words can get um, get produced with the American accent. And then lots of verbal praise. Um, initially, to help build confidence, I will also make a, a, a second list of all of the successful productions. Once they get into it um, and they're feeling more confident, they don't really need the successful production list. But that is one of the ways. And then the video recording is another way. All right. And is there anything else that may not be related to technology that you would suggest to conduct accent modification services? Anything at all? Really? What's up here? Yeah. Paying attention to the different cultural I don't want to say rules, but just the paying attention to different cultures. So if you do choose to provide accent modification services in person, then you would want to know, you know, if you're um, a female who's providing services, you may want to know that in some cultures you you are not to touch, you know, the hand of a male of that culture or a particular hand to touch or avoid um, ways to greet people, topics to avoid, um, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and just making sure that you are um, knowledgeable about the different cultures so that everybody is comfortable and um, nobody walks away feeling negative in any way. Definitely. And what are some resources for homework that you provide for your clients? Is that something that we might be able to find in your handout? So yes, in my handout, I have this book. This is a great resource for if you're interested in getting into accent modification. This will tell you, um, you'll get more examples of the different um, sounds that um, are commonly a challenge for different languages. They'll talk about um, different rules and it really will just help, especially if you are just getting into accent modification, it can kind of serve as a guide. And would you mind reading the title and the author of the book for those listening to the recording? It's called Mastering the American Accent, and it is by Lisa Majin. Lisa, and it's spelled M-O-J-S as in Sam, I-N as in Nancy. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. The second edition, you can find that definitely on Amazon. Wonderful. Thank you for that. So we're going to switch gears now. And I know that our audience has anxiously been waiting for some answers to the following questions. I think this is the big question they've been anxious to hear about. How do you find accent modification clients? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Excellent question. So you can find clients definitely through the corporate route. So I would recommend contacting HR. HR departments, they'll be able to connect you to the appropriate um, departments. If it's not HR, they'll be able to put you in the right direction. That is one. um, Searching for companies that do a lot of international business, companies that um, do a lot of consulting. So, and a lot of um, consulting can be international. And then word of mouth is a huge, um, is a huge piece of that. And it's kind of like, once you get into it, you know, they're going to, you know, speak with someone and they're going to say, how did you change your accent? How did you sound like that? And then they're going to say, oh, I work with this speech therapist and they'll share your information. Also, you can tell your clients, you know, please spread the word. If any, if you know of anybody else, family members, I've worked with a lot of married couples 
And that's great because then they can practice together um, and that's homework. Um, let's see, Google is great. So you can, um, depending upon if you own um, a private practice or not, you can um, have a company to kind of boost your name so that you can um, appear at the top of Google searches. And then you will be the one that comes up when um, someone in your area is searching for accent services. Also know that um, clients typically are not going to be using the term accent modification because they don't know it. Um, so perhaps accent in the state that you are in or that you're licensed in. And let's see, they said Google. I actually asked some of my clients how they um, started searching for accent modification services. And so some of these are their gems. Um, but this one is mine, Toastmasters. Toastmasters is a great option as well. Wonderful. So I love the tips that you're giving on the Google searches. So basically they would put in the word accent and then the state that they were located in to, to find you. Okay, interesting. Or accent coach. Coaching is a big word. Coaching, that of course says to me, not speech therapy, but because you are a speech therapist and you can provide accent modification services, you can market yourself as a coach if you would like to. Definitely. Definitely. And how did you make initial connections with these individuals yourself personally? Was it through a corporation or Toastmasters or anything else? No, the first one I had was someone who found me actually. And then that person ended up being a word of mouth person for myself. All right. Very good. So there's an interesting question that just came through. I'd like to highlight somebody is asking, what are some things to not do when you're providing accent modification services? I guess, what, what would you want to avoid? You want to avoid topics. This is culturally. You want to avoid topics that could be offensive. So if you're not sure and, you know, when you start developing these um, working relationships with your clients, it's very easy to feel like friends and, you know, they may have thoughts and views that you don't agree with, but you don't want to say something and then accidentally offend somebody. So that is a huge one. Um, and with the accents, you know, you are working with a range of people from different cultures and different countries, different languages. They, you know, you don't know who they know. And so um, that is a huge one culturally. As far as the actual service, I would say you don't want to um, be too negative. You do want to have um, an aspect of it where you're building their confidence. So you don't want to just keep saying like, no, you're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. Um, a lot of modeling is good. So you don't want to only describe. Um, you don't want to give, I guess, 2D or surface examples. A lot of times the clients enjoy when you're sharing how they sounded. So um, I'm not saying practice your accents, but see how you do with manipulating um, your articulators to see if you can get yourself to sound how they sound. A lot of times when I'm in session, I may close my eyes because that's kind of like simulating the stuff from grad school where they turn the lights off, but that's what just isolates another sense. So I'm not taking in um, more stimuli, but I may repeat exactly what it is that they said so that I can, I can feel what they're doing so I can tell them what not to do. But as far as um, what not to do in that regard, 
don't be too negative towards them. Don't beat them up because a lot of times they're going to be beating themselves up because they're going to be thinking I've been doing this for months and I'm like right here at this level and I just can't get, you know, this word or this sound or whatever it may be. So they're, they're going to be harder on themselves than you are. So that's what I would say not to do. Definitely. And I, I think that multicultural sensitivity is going to be huge because that could cross over into all the activities you do and the homework and everything. So I think that was a very good tip that you gave. Somebody's asking if if they should invest in malpractice insurance if they're working with accent modification. Do you know much about that? I know you do more than that in your practice. So I would say yes. I would say you want malpractice insurance regardless of which area you are specializing in. Um, with accent modification, just like if you know someone were to stutter, you wouldn't want anyone coming back and saying like, "Oh, you made me sound worse," or you know, say something like that. You've got malpractice um, insurance that can help with that. But I would check if malpractice insurance covered that. You're still working with someone on a specific goal, but because it's not a treatment. I don't know if that would be malpractice. That's a good question. That's something to look into. Yeah, definitely. And I I know if you have your own business, there's separate rules around that too for protecting your business. And those also vary by state, like our state licensure, very complex. All clinicians should have malpractice insurance is my belief. Like even if you work for a company, like their insurance is to protect them. Maybe some of, you know, the people that work for them, but having your own is... Um, the best bet. And if you are paying for it as an independent person, not as someone who owns a practice, I think it's like maybe $49, maybe 54 or something like that for the year. That's not too bad at all. Speaking of charges, we didn't get to talk about reimbursement. Does insurance reimburse for these services? And if not, how do you do your payment plans and all of that? Insurance will not cover accent modification because an accent is not a disorder or something to treat. And so there can't be like a doctor's order for it or anything like that. And so insurance won't cover it because it's not something to heal or treat. So that means out-of-pocket cost is where you will be receiving your money. The clients will pay you directly. You set your price. I say know your worth. Um, Check your um, competition, if you will. So check, you know, dialect coaches that are in your area or other SLPs that are providing services and um, take into account your experience, your degrees and um, set a price and go from there. But you can also do a payment plan and, you know, do packages. So you could have 10 sessions for a lump sum and then have them pay it that way. It really just depends on what's going to work best for your business model and um, how you intake your payments. All right. Thank you. So I did want to kind of go back and talk about some common words or word pairs that you have noticed through different languages that might be difficult to understand. Is there anything in particular that you do notice that folks with accents have difficulty and that you work on? With my experience specifically, I'll speak a lot about Russian right now. So quickly for the listeners, because of the war in Russia or the war between Russia and Ukraine, a lot of American companies offered their um, Russian and Ukrainian 
clients who were working in those business offices there, they offered them the option of bringing them and their family safely to America. And because of that, a lot of them wanted to assimilate. And so they, you know, they, they understand that there is a stigma with media in, in America. So if you think about the movies that are shown, a lot of it is about being a spy or something negative. And so they don't want to appear um, similar to what Americans associate with Russians. So a lot of them wanted to um, have their accents modified. And through that, my caseload for clients with Russian, uh, for Russia, increased quite a bit. So I will speak to um, what I have noticed with my Russian clients. I, I did mention the I, so that um, feet to fit exactly. So there's that E again, instead of exact lay, exactly. Mm, v and W seem to get um, confused. So if they say um, over, they won't, um, their lips won't um, relax enough or be open enough. They will tuck their bottom lip over um, their bottom teeth. And then that muffles the sound and they're already in that V. They just haven't um, made the connection. So it, instead of over, it sounds like over. And listeners, you can kind of do what I described. You're tucking your lip over your bottom teeth, over. And so you have to teach them about um, opening up um, their mouths. I call it the big American mouth. Um, something that I did notice um, sound wise is that Almost every other language or dialect um, speaks with a very um, still position of their uh, mandible. And so that means that sounds are coming out through a very narrow um, passageway. And so that changes. So with um, American accents, our mouths are open, we're loud, we talk, and you know we've got our, our vowels that um, are shaped beautifully and, and robustly. But um, in other languages, the jaw doesn't move as much. And so to get them to open up their mouths to produce a word. Um, so instead of possibly someone from Russia or another um, Eastern European country is likely going to say full, possibly, possibly, possibly. And a challenge is getting, getting the mandible to to drop and to open wide enough so that the sounds can be produced with the accent that they want. And sometimes their muscles, the mandible muscles are so tight from being in position all of their lives um, that their actual um, muscle exercises that I'll encourage them to do just to help them open up. So definitely the um, open mouth position is huge for sound. We talked about V and W, I'm trying to think of another really good one. Also, one of the things I've noticed is certain numbers, like if you're, for example, exchanging money at the grocery store, or there's a question about time, there's certain words, right, that kind of get confusing. Yes, I actually had one this week, and it was 50 and 15. So if at the end of 50, if they don't produce the E, and it's E, 50, and they um, and Russians have a tendency to um, voice after the word is completed. And so if you're if you're saying five zero with a relaxed Y vowel at the end, then it can sound like you're almost saying 15. So 
50. And that can sound like 15, especially if your communication partner isn't listening that well. And 15, if they say it that way, um, if they don't make a strong connection with their tongue to their hard palate for that strong n sound at the end, 15 can sound like 50. Same thing with um, outside of numbers, church and George. Those two can sound very similar because um, Russians have a pattern where their tongue kind of rolls when they're saying that particular sound, George. So instead of church, where your tongue is pretty still and stiff almost, theirs is relaxed and in a flow, George, but they're actually saying church. Right. So thank you again. We truly appreciate your research, education, and expertise you provided about accent modification through telepractice. As a reminder, if your state license requires CEUs, be sure to complete all course modules, including the one that says quiz before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. Please be sure to join us for our next episode in this series, episode five, Empowering Parents Via Teletherapy, Early Intervention to School-Age Children. Have a great evening. Thank you for joining us for tonight's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you're a part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.